Hello and welcome to the Make Better Photos and Videos podcast. I'm Ross. And I am Gordon. Gordon, it sounds to me that you've been Indiana Jonesing in comparison land again. Uh, yes, but I'm not sure. Am I in the Temple of Doom or reading the Lost Ark? <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> yes would be the correct answer. Thank you very much for playing. Sort of. Uh, we were talking flash exposure compensation last week. And then these spicules of factoids, I like those words, spicules of factoids, started inserting themselves into my consciousness and started messing me up. So I figured you should come along with me. Oh, if it's a trip to insanity, mm-hmm. oh, no, I'm deep, highly qualified. Deep, <laughs> deep dive. Specifically, I was wondering if exposure compensation and spot metering had things in common, and did they produce similar results, and did they have pitfalls that we need to be aware of? I think this is an interesting conversation. What's your initial perspective on this? To quote somebody, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I deserve that. Let's go (laughs) Let's get down to what we get paid for. Um, buddy, I'm sorry, man, but we don't get paid. Oh. We're not sponsored. No one sends us anything for oh. free. Oh. Okay, scratch that. All right, so definitions as interpreted by me, which may be hopelessly inaccurate. I see exposure compensation as a deliberate attempt by you, the creative, to override the exposure settings that are suggested by the light meter. Well, no one can argue with that because your definition is completely accurate. Particularly the point that you make that it is a decision on the part of the creative. Now, do you see this as a challenge generally? Technically, not at all. Most cameras have a simple dial or a displayed menu system that pulling or pressing of which allows you to set the amount of the override. Perceptually, well, that's what this podcast and others are all about. And what are your thoughts for folks who shoot in manual? Slightly different kettle of fish, but not entirely. The manual shooters would produce the same results, but have to manually over or underexposed to get the effect. There are some cameras, I understand, where the exposure compensation still works even when the camera is in manual mode. But one has to read the manual to find out. My understanding is that cameras that do allow exposure compensation in manual mode do so by altering the ISO. I think your definition of exposure compensation was shall we say, spot on, unintended. (laughs) Now, share with the listeners your understanding of spot metering. Spot metering on the surface appears to be the absolute answer to photographer's problem of getting the exposure right. Once spot metering is selected, the metering system now looks at and measures 
an area between 1 and 5 degrees, which is presumably where would you, you would situate the subject. Okay. At a high level, then, they do sound similar, but they wouldn't exist if they were doing the same thing. In your view, are they delivering the same thing? Well, to quote another famous folk photographer, it depends, and we will come to that. Okay, that's fair. Thinking of your own use, when do you choose one over the other, and why? In general terms, I would use exposure compensation to effect one of two things, which with a bit of overlap. One is to effect a change in the global image, or in simpler terms, make the whole image appear to be lighter or darker. Or I may want to change the exposure of a small portion of the image. But here's the crucial point. I can affect change in a small portion of the image, but to get there, I have to accept that other parts of the image will be changed up or down to a similar amount. Okay, I think that's a very important distinction you're making. And just prior to you helping our audience members visualize that with an example, let's all be clear. We're talking about work in camera. Yes. We're not talking about anything in post-processing here. Correct. Yes. So maybe you could give us a couple of examples. Okay. So you're shooting in a condition where the light is reflected brightly off something like sand or snow. The light meter interprets this speculated reflection as being very bright and therefore suggests an underexposure. So I compensate by an appropriate amount by, a, say, one to two steps in this, uh, this above scenario to get the exposure that I desire. This is the global effect used because light meters recommend an exposure that creates an overall exposure equivalent of light that is reflected off a gray card. Another example for the other aspect of this uh, scenario is tracking a plane or a bird against a bright sky. The exposure meter, since it's reading most of the rest of the scene, will show a dark blob as the subject. Overexposure to get the subject as bright as, as is intended, but to get there you would have to expire, accept that the rest of the image will be correspondingly brighter or darker depending on the compensation you've dialed in. And I think this is a terrific example that you've used here. We see this a lot. Folks go out, they see a bird or an aircraft, point their camera up, and accept the exposure the camera recommends. But because it's seeing so much sky, which is, to your point, brighter than the subject, the subject turns into a silhouette. Mm -hmm. So that's a very common issue that folks have. And invariably, they blame the camera. Mm -hmm. Stupid camera. Spent so much money on it, <laughs> it doesn't work. I'm not saying what I'm thinking, but... <laughs> I've never heard that before in my life this week. And that, of course, is the hardest thing about exposure compensation to understand, and even for some folks to believe. 
and coupling that with the angst because humans want everything right freaking now. They want a well-exposed sky, a well-exposed subject, and it's just not going to happen in this kind of scenario that nope. you've described. Nope. Or in your first scenario where you've got light reflected off a bright, bright subject. As a certain Sir Mick says, you can't always get what you want, but sometimes you'll get what you need. Mm-hmm. And the decision on what you're going to do lies with the creative. Pick the point that you want in whatever you define as proper exposure and go for it. But accept that you're not going to get everything that you might want right away. So you may need to end up doing some post-processing, bring backgrounds or supplementary subject matter where you'd like them to be. But be clear, adjust the exposure for your subject. That is crucial, yes. That's critical, because otherwise it can be a world of pain. And I've, I've seen that with some very good photographers, actually, because they say, well, I can't go up anymore because the sky's going to get all blown out. And I'm sitting there saying, okay, it's going to get blown out, but better the sky get blown out than better than your, your subject, not be detailed. So... Let's visit the spot metering thing because it's something that I struggle with more, probably because I don't use it that often. Well, I think that's a fair thing as well because it's a common concern because folks either don't understand spot metering or it's just not something that they go to very often. So by definition, spot metering is only applying the metering processing to that area which is inside the spot. Pretty much perfect for that section, presuming that it's not overly bright or overly dark and being skewed, as you just talked about. But that could result in results that are suboptimal for other areas of the frame. It's an incredibly powerful function, but if it's not fully understood or used well, you may not get the images that you're looking for and then end up with failed expectations. And some of those would be... Well, I think one of the the challenges we're going to find is, well, what's the size of the spot? Camera manufacturer's documentation is often missing some small critical elements. And frankly, how big the spot is in degrees is one of them. In the old days, in the before time, the focusing screen actually used to have a circle engraved, which would indicate where the spot was. Right. Now it's a challenge to know if it's a one degree, three degree, five degree, or however many degree spots. As a consequence of that, depending upon the lens that is being used on the camera, well, folks are going to have difficulty visualizing how big that is mm-hmm. or how much of the frame that's taking up. An offshoot of this is that the creative believes the spot is metering the subject only. But what happens if the spot is bigger than the subject or mm-hmm. the spot is not located solely on the subject? And so you could get, let's use the example of the bird, you'll get part of the bird and part of the sky behind it. The spot meter doesn't know what you're photographing. And so you're going to get a composite reading based on what the spot meter function is actually seeing, not what you hope it's seeing. And we've said before that hope is not a strategy. The question here is, will the margin of error be enough to be a problem? And it's going to depend... (laughs) To quote you earlier, it depends on the degree of overlap 
as well as the dynamic range capability of the camera itself. Older sensors that had dynamic ranges of six or seven stops would tend to be more difficult to recover in post-processing than a modern camera that can deliver 13 to 14 stops of dynamic range. So just uh, remember that some, with the modern cameras, and we are looking at the uh, focusing point, and somehow the belief exists in our minds that the focusing point is the size of the spot. That is a common assumption. And it may not be true at all. It may not be true at all. I don't know, things like Olympus, for instance, that have 121 focusing points. You say, well, you, you don't actually know where that spot really is. Or how big the spot is. Or how big it is. And it gets even more complicated the more focus points the camera has. I mean, we see some Sony cameras with just under 400 focus points. Whether that's valuable or not is not particularly relevant, but you certainly couldn't take tiny focus point and presume it is the area where the spot metering is. We also find cameras where the spot metering will follow the selected focus point. Ah, yes. And you will also find cameras that don't care. They pick the center. Right. And that's where you've got to, again... Read the manual and learn how your camera operates and maybe get into the habit of using an auto exposure lock of some kind or an exposure lock in the case of manual exposure readings. So you hold what the spot meter is telling you, presuming that you're metering off your primary subject. Right. And so it, it also just dawned on me that the spot meter, we, we assume that because it's measuring the subject, it's going to give you the correct exposure. But uh, what happens if what you're metering is a completely white subject, let's say an egret? Okay. So you now have a spot meter that's reading something that's quite reflectively bright and says too bright and dumbs it down a bit until you've now got a middle gray egret. And that egret is not going to pay you for those photographs. No, not happening. Because it doesn't look right. And by the way, it's the same thing. You know, we see a lot of folks with pets that are black. You know, a yep. black dog, black cat. And they're quite upset when they're gray. And that is that, you know, I use spot metering. I thought that was the only way to do it. Well, you may have gotten a perfectly correct spot meter, but you do have to make those compensation decisions right. still. So, in fact, you're, you're actually... Even though you are spot metering, you are going back into the realm of applying exposure compensation to produce the result that you want. Exactly. I mean, this is precisely what you had talked about in your two examples when you combine them together. The concept of pre-visualization and assessment is not obviated by either exposure compensation or spot metering. Yes, we hear more and more and more about artificial intelligence in our cameras, but as far as we can tell, because it hasn't tried to murder us all yet, the AI doesn't know the creative's intent. It can only do what it's been programmed as potential outcomes to do. Now, couple that, you know, with varying degrees of reflectivity, different sizes of spots, and it can get, well, let's just say you might get some results that you're not fond of 
Now, this also gets more complicated where that creative says, well, I'm going to use exposure compensation for this image. Oh, and this one I'm going to use spot metering for. Right. And then they move on to the next image and some time passes and maybe they forget which metering mode they're in. Right. And as a consequence to that, if they're not checking once in a while, doing what we call ch is chimping, you might find that a large portion of what you've done is, well, less than useful. So how would you manage that kind of conundrum? Oh, conundrums. Uh, that's easy. I cheat. Well, a little bit. I prefer to use one system all the time. Tried going back and forth, and as Ross mentioned, I sometimes forget, and my results could have helped. So I've given up on that, and I have learned to use the exposure compensation, learn the process, know what is going to be bright, what's going to be dark, and I can produce a certain amount of disbelief in some of the people I'm shooting with because they cannot believe that I am setting my camera to plus two or minus two or plus three or minus three. But I also learned another lesson from all of this is that if you haven't blown out the highlights, in RAW, pretty much everything is recoverable. And if the blowout is in one non-crucial, is in a non-crucial portion of the image, then it probably doesn't matter. And in relation to post-processing, with the new masking techniques, if your sky has gone white, but it's not blown out as shown on the histogram, which is the other thing that I live and die by, then you can just mask that sky and bring it back very, very easily. So I think the new additions have pretty much changed how we can do these things in post. So I think that's pretty much my approach to most of this. And uh, I think I'm going to be quiet and back out. I think your approach makes a lot of sense. You've looked at the scene, you've determined what your primary subject is, and you've made an exposure decision, which way you're going to go. Be that compens exposure compensation or be it spot metering. And to stick with it through a shoot event, so you don't trap yourself, as I have, in the wrong metering mode, mm -hmm. as you're moving quickly from photo to photo. And this process that you follow will work whether the camera is a modern mirrorless or an older DSLR. Mm -hmm. Because the camera metering modality, the program that goes into a metering, hasn't changed much. Oh, yes, we have more metering points. Oh, yes, we have artificial intelligence that will look at the relative brightness of different parts of the scene so long as we are using a matrix-style metering. And it may try to make some decisions based on the potential eventualities that have been programmed into the algorithm. All very cool stuff. But the real work is still done a few inches behind the viewfinder. Yes. Thank you, Gordon. I think it's a good conversation. Good. Thank you. For the Make Better Photos and Videos podcast, I'm Ross. And I am that other guy, Gordon. The other guy, Gordon. <laughs> we thank you for listening. Please don't forget to subscribe. And we will speak to you again very soon.